Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the latest edition of Nakubo in Brief. This is Liz Clark, Vice President for Policy and Research at Nakubo. And today I'm delighted to be joined by my Nakubo colleague, Lindsay Waite. She's our Director of Analytics. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. Lindsay was a part of the team at Nakubo of staff who worked on some recent briefs and some infographics that we've shared with our membership and have been made widely available on the current state of higher education. And uh, we're really excited about the project and want to spend some time today on this podcast uh, sharing uh, a little bit about what the project is all about. So, Lindsay, let's dive right in. What can you uh, tell our listeners about Nakubo's State of Higher Education project? What What's the initiative all about and what are its goals? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I actually, uh, the initiative has a, a couple different goals, I would say, uh, because it's really targeted at a couple different audiences. Um, so I think, you know, being a membership organization, we always think about Nakubo members, so the chief business officers. And I really think uh, for them, um, who would probably be considered our primary audience, uh, the goal of this uh, is to do a couple things um, with them. Uh, it's one, to provide them with uh, important information on topics that we think are most critical uh, to the state of higher education today, uh, because we want to make sure that our, our members are informed about issues that impact not only them, but also their students. Um, and then I would say uh, the kinds of information that we happen to be sharing as part of this project um, is really a call to action. Uh, so we want uh, our members to be able to not only see and react to data around really important topics, but we want them to be able to do something with it, um, whether that's um, them advocating for their institutions or their, their students themselves, um, or maybe it is you know rethinking um, their own internal strategies for how they approach different topics. Um, so I would say those are probably the, the bigger goals. Um, Liz, do you have like other goals in mind that you can think of, or I, I know we also want some of this to be used with external audiences as well. Yeah, I, I would say that at Nakuba, we tend to go right into the tactical and practical. What kind of accounting or tax or business and administration tools do our members need to help them do their part as it relates to the higher education mission? But just like with any other stakeholder in higher education, business officers too need to think about what's going on in the entire post-secondary universe uh, and what's going on in society in lar at large and how does that impact budgeting decisions uh, or other strategic investment decisions. And we also wanted at the same time to 
ensure the tool was accessible to policymakers and others who are active in Washington and around the country in thinking about new ideas, new initiatives that can help further enhance how we deliver post-secondary education. So uh, we, we hope that all audiences find this work helpful. So Lindsay, you were a part of our thinking on this work from from beginning to end this year in 2020. And uh, we did put a pause on the work early in the year because of the pandemic, but uh, several several things influenced where we landed. Can you talk about uh, uh, what we included in this year's work? Yeah, um, and I will uh, maybe say something a little cliche at first, but but 2020 definitely has been um, a, an interesting year to say the least. Um, it has definitely presented our members and and really everybody in higher ed with a lot of challenges. And I think you know when we think about higher education and we think about the the mission and what our members are really striving striving to achieve every day, um, it, it all comes back to students. Um, and so even though a lot of different things happened in, in 2020, I do think the, the first few, few topics or issues that we focused on in the state of higher ed work this year really point to students being the most important thing to think about at our institutions. So that was a long way to say, uh, the two topics, uh, for this particular, uh, um, initiative, at least uh, at this point in time, are one, uh, really doubling down on the, the value of higher education. Uh, so 2020 presented a lot of, especially individuals with challenges, um, you know, around, you know, employment, um, their ability to work. Uh, 2020 has definitely upended uh, the workforce. And so uh, we doubled down on uh, the importance of investing in higher education because we do see it as having value for students and families in the communities where they live. Uh, so that's the first topic. Um, the second topic, you know, in addition to the pandemic, 2020 has had uh, a lot of other challenges. Um, in particular, uh, we've seen a lot of unrest around racial tensions in the U.S., uh, so beginning with the murder of George Floyd. And we know that, that uh, college campuses really are microcosms of society at large. And so when you have such big uh, events going on in the country, that that's bound to have an impact on colleges and universities. And so the second issue that we uh, tackled this year with the, the 2020 state of higher ed work uh, was uh, racial unrest and what implications um, national events will have for colleges and universities. I couldn't agree with you more, Lindsay. This year has forced us to stop in our tracks and rethink so many things. And really, at the end of the day, the issues that we decided to cover are not necessarily new issues, but they are issues that were particularly intensified in 2020. Uh, the pandemic intensified our need to address questions the public and policymakers and the media and others have about access, affordability, and the value of higher education. And then uh, we, for a long time, have been thinking about equity uh, and diversity concerns in uh, higher education. And 2020 certainly gave us the opportunity to roll up our sleeves and take a bit of a deeper dive. Uh, let, let's turn to the question of value. Uh, what are some of the points that, we, that were made in, in the work and why? Yeah, and uh, this work really does call back to uh, topics we were already focusing on in 2019, um, and that is 
you know, the students, families, policymakers have some real concerns about college affordability. Um, and what is it that I'm getting when I pay uh, my tuition and fee prices every year? Um, and what's the return on that investment? Um, and people are really starting to question uh, the sticker price as well as the net price of college because we've seen increases in both um, over the last several decades. There's a lot of concern about, you know, are, are we keeping college accessible, um, you know, to, to everybody? Um, and it's not just, uh, you know, a good that not everyone can have access to. And the, the value piece uh, shows that, yes, indeed, uh, although college has gotten more and more expensive from the student and family point of view, uh, but in the end, uh, you are getting um, lots of benefits by investing in higher education. And those benefits come at both the individual um, and then also at the community level. So the individual level, we know that, that folks are more likely to have higher salaries, they're less likely to be unemployed. Um, and I will say research, um, recent research shows that uh, the pandemic, you know, I, Liz, earlier you talked about how the pandemic had exacerbated a lot of the challenges that we're seeing uh, with employment. Uh, but individuals who had a degree, um, so those who had a college degree were less likely to be um, as impacted by the pandemic. Um, and so I think uh, this piece is really showing Yes, it's still worth it to invest in higher education uh, for individuals, but I also think the piece goes a step further because we still have affordability concerns. And even if we know folks are likely to uh, make up for that with higher future earnings, there's still a lot of concern about, well, can we open the door for everybody? You know, are we really allowing everybody to access um, the opportunity to, to, to social mobility, to move up and to, to have something better than what previous generations had? Um, and the pandemic has created a lot of challenges. And so this piece really just calls on uh, policymakers um, as well as institutional leaders to keep that in mind, um, that as you think about accessibility at your own institution, if you're a business officer, keep in mind that college does have value, but we need to make sure it's accessible for everyone. And as policymakers, make sure that you're giving your um, in the institutions, whether it's in your state or if you're a federal policymaker across the U.S., like you're thinking about making sure that you are investing in higher education and giving business officers and other campus leaders the levers and the options that they need so that they can provide the services needed to students. Lindsay, I love your point that higher education can be and is both a public good and a private good. I know that historically we've seen some thinkers in post-secondary education try to try to argue one side or the other. Is it a private good or is it a public good? And one of the things I like about this work is that we say it can be both. Um, at the end of the day, we truly believe policymakers need to invest in higher education and they need to do so in a way that helps afford access, access to those that may not have the ability to attend because it can make a big difference in their life and it can make a big difference for society. And for individuals that may already have access to higher education or the ability to afford education, I think we have some real data and some information that shows exactly what that payoff is when you do get some credential, um, whether it's uh, uh, a two-year degree or a four-year degree. And uh, we also took the time in this work to demonstrate how that played out in the initial days after the COVID-19 outbreak really changed the way we um, live and work in 2020. So um, really interesting, interesting data that emerged about the value of higher 
of a higher education degree. Let's let's go down that uh, lane a little bit. Um, we've we've mentioned a couple times now how COVID nineteen has intensified uh, these questions and this focus. Uh, what should campus leaders, other policymakers, other stakeholders be doing at this time? In in uh, in sadly. I was going to say the wake of COVID-19, but sadly, we're, we're back in the height of a, a pandemic outbreak all over again. What should people be thinking about vis-a-vis higher education? I think, you know, and in the in both of the briefs, uh, so this one on value, but the advice will be kind of similar in the other brief as well. Uh, we call on folks to do three different things. And honestly, uh, the three pieces of advice are good, whether you are a policymaker, whether you are a chief business officer, whether you work in student affairs. Uh, so for all folks in higher ed, there's kind of three pieces of advice that we offer. Uh, the first piece of advice is evidence. Um, and so that's really looking at the data. Um, so from a national perspective, uh, we outline, you know, uh, um, a lot of information, uh, mostly on the topics that Liz and I have been uh, discussing now. Um, and we encourage policymakers, um, those who are, you know, who, where it would be appropriate for you to be looking at data in aggregate uh, to look at, you know, the national trends, what's going on, you know, how are we ensuring access, who has access and who doesn't, uh, because we do, we are able to, to look at the data that way. But also say when we say trust the evidence, um, it's not always helpful for every single stakeholder to look at data in aggregate. So if you're on a college campus, yes, it's helpful for you to know the, the trends of, you know, on average, uh, folks are more likely to earn um, higher salaries if they have X degree versus Y degree. But it's really important for institutional leaders to dive into their own data and understand, you know, where are the problem areas at our own campuses in terms of making sure our students are realizing the value of a, of a college degree. Um, and so diving into, you know, who's enrolling at our institution, what are our outcome uh, measures like, uh, what are, you know, what's, what is the return on investment for individuals from different programs at our institution? So really diving in and knowing their data. You you have given me as our director of analytics one of my favorite quotes about analytics, which is, analytics is a skill, not a tool. And I think um, absolutely, uh, all of the the varying measures which you just mentioned and more can be considered uh, if you knew how to look and and how to think about some of these uh, measurables. Exactly. Yeah, I do think um, leaders on campuses. We'll have to have a focus on their institutional data literacy. Um, so although, you know, business officers are really used to looking at ledgers on a regular basis and could talk to you about debits and credits, you know, how are we merging some of that finance data with student data um, or with other uh, business intelligence data that our institutions have? Um, and how are we making sure that we are able to dive into the data and to trust it, but also realize that that we as leaders in higher education come with certain skills and certain experiences um, that help us bring in the human side to using data? Because ultimately, it is students and it is your faculty and your staff who are behind all of these uh, you know, individual numbers on a spreadsheet. Um, and so, yes, trust the, the evidence, but always, always uh, make sure that you trust your expertise and your, you know, those who are leading with you at your institution as well. The next big thing uh, that we advise folks to do in both of the briefs is to make a commitment. Um, and I think that also brings in the hum human element here as well. 
Um, we know that not everybody experiences um, the, the benefits of higher education at the same rate. So we know uh, as we look at the data, um, so as we pull it out by different demographics, we know, for example, that Black students don't have as high of earnings as their, their white peers when they leave higher education. Um, and we know um, that there's also challenges um, along different racial lines within our institutions too. We also know that sometimes um, these uh, differences uh, fall along the lines of gender. They might fall along the lines of um, income level, so family income level before you come in to colleges and universities. And so when we say make a commitment and make a commitment to students, we really mean make a commitment to all students. And that's why it is so important to uh, dive into your data so that you're, you're realizing that there are subpopulations of different students on our, at our institutions that we may or may not be serving as well as others. Um, and we know at the national level um, that low-income students, first-generation students, um, uh, students of color tend to not uh, have been served as well historically in higher education. And we really want to encourage um, not just institutional leaders, but policymakers as well to focus on these, these groups of students who haven't been served as well in the past and make them and their success a priority. There are actually some specific data points that we talk about um, where uh, Black and Hispanic students are less likely to attend selective institutions. Why does this, wh what do we know and why does this matter? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so that also two big questions, really. Uh, so what do we know? Uh, we do know um, that students of color and lower income students and first generation students um, are less likely to um, uh not just attend selective institutions, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, but also less likely to um, uh, finish college at the same rates um, as their peers, um, less likely to, once they do finish a degree, um, to be able to actually experience some of the advantages of having a higher ed credential. Um, and, and when you, when you say things like, well, why does it matter? Well, let's, let's look at a particular example. So we know, um, that, uh, non-white students made up about a third of college goers in 1996. And by 2016, non-white students now make up about half of college goers. So that's a huge increase um, in, in not a very long period of time. And we also know that going forward, um, uh, students of color are going to be the majority um, uh, of co the college age students and likely the majority of college goers in the future. However, when we start to dig into the data and see things like, well, but they're not attending the most selective institutions, or maybe individual campuses are seeing things like, well, uh, students of color maybe aren't enrolling in certain programs that we have at the same rate. So maybe not going into STEM programs that typically have higher earnings once you finish a degree. Um, and campuses are starting to see some of these challenges um, that really gives them the opportunity to make sure uh, or to start asking questions like, well, why is that? Um, do we have the right support systems put in place? Do we offer the right kinds of scholarship or aid um, or other support services that students need to make sure that we've created pathways where not just some students could succeed, but really all students have the opportunity to be successful at our campuses? And that's really, uh, I think, the um, 
the I guess the benefit I would say um, of having uh, you know resources like these that Nakubo is producing the slide deck as well as the the briefs is they start to point campuses to different topics or areas um, that they should be um, having uh, as a priority at their institution and data that they should be diving into. So uh, these are just a few of the data points that we dive into in our brief on equity. Uh, just to, to remind listeners, we, we produced two briefs this year. They're both available on Medium and two slide decks, uh, and with one with a speci- specific focus on racial equity. Uh, on the, the racial equity piece, we uh, spend some time talking about the gaps for students, but we also identified a few other areas of concerns. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the other gaps that we talk about um, are are go back to faculty and staff. Um, although it's really all part of the same picture. Um, so we know uh, that um, college presidents, chief business officers other senior leaders at institutions, um, even uh, mid-level leaders at institutions are more likely to be white. um, And often in the more senior positions are more likely to be male and more likely to be older. Um, That's almost the opposite of who we have coming in as students. Um, And so what we see is students don't see themselves represented um, in the faculty or in the leadership of their institutions. And and that's a real concern uh, for those in higher education um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, um, from the student perspective, it's important that they see folks who look like them, who have similar perspectives to them in leadership roles, that they see themselves represented in higher education. Um, and two, we know that when organizations are more diverse, um, so when you're working with individuals who have different experiences, different perspectives than your own, that that improves business processes. It helps your campus make better decisions as a whole. And so when we see things like Uh, Very few leaders happen to be uh, women or happen to be people of color or happen to be first generation college students themselves. Um, And we don't have those perspectives represented. Um, It makes it challenging for colleges to really be the most efficient and most effective that they can be. So it's important to have uh, diverse individuals within your ranks, uh, within the faculty, within the staff, within the administration. Thank you, Lindsay. I think that there's a lot of information here for people to really take some time and think about think about where they uh, can go with their data. Think about the type of commitment they should be making themselves, and to consider what kind of investments need to be made. Whether they're a business officer thinking about strategic budgeting for their institution or whether they're a policymaker trying to think about where federal or state or local investments need to go, a critical eye needs to be taken here. Uh, We do have more exciting plans for the State of Higher Education Initiative. Uh, Lindsay, can you talk a little bit about what we're hoping will come down the pike? So I really appreciated that this year we broke out the State of Higher Ed work into separate briefs so we can definitely target data on really important topics for our members. Uh, So as we've said, we've already covered um, or addressed the, the value of higher ed through a kind of post, almost post, or COVID-19 lens. Uh, And we've looked at um, racial inequities in higher education. 
the next few briefs um, that, that are in the works um, are on uh, low-income students. So looking at what are the gaps for students who, who come from lower-income families versus those uh, who come from wealthier families. Um, and what are some special considerations uh, as leaders look at uh, the income divide and how can we make sure that college remains uh, accessible for all students regardless of income. We also know that 2020 brought with it lots of challenges and opportunities and quite a bit of that stems back to um, online learning. Um, and so one of the other briefs that we'll look at will focus on online learning and, and you know, how, what's the status quo? Where are we now? Who, you know, how does that uh, have implications for access and also affordability? And, and you know, how, what are also some of the opportunities with that as we think about, uh, again, access and affordability uh, for students? So what does the transition to, to online mean uh, for students and families and the future of higher ed? I am personally very excited about the way Nakubo is entering these conversations. I think that uh, we are well known for being tactical and practical with our members, whether it's tax issues or accounting issues or other business administration related issues, but um, we fully know and understand just how strategic our business officer members and our higher education administrators writ large need to be. And uh, all of these issues are related. So even as we go into 2021, a little uncertain about uh, where the Biden administration will lead us when it comes to higher education policy. Uh, e even if we head toward a major free college program or loan forgiveness or a doubling of the Pell Grant, we really need to think about all of those programs and, and how they interplay with uh, race and equity at institutions how they uh, impact uh, the online learning experience also. I'm looking forward to see where we uh, can go with that discussion, uh, not only in a conversation about an online college versus a traditional institution, but now in uh, a COVID-19 environment, we have traditional institutions who have pivoted to providing significant online programs or hybrid programming. And, and what does that all mean? None of these issues can be examined in a vacuum. And we're hoping to advance the conversation here on, on all of these fronts and help people think about uh, how they all interplay. Um, Lindsay, do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share on this work? No, I think my, my final thoughts on the work are um, and I guess I'm really kind of thinking about our members or having our members um, in my head. Liz, you're exactly right. All of these issues, um, they do overlap. But I will say um, it's important that we consider each one. Um, so each of these are real priorities. Um, and so I do hope our members see these resources as, as giving them some of the, you know, the first few steps. Um, or first few pieces of information as they think about their role um, and their work and how they they um, support students ultimately. Um, so I do see us as, I, I know I said one of the priorities earlier in the, the pieces was to, to give folks access uh, to data. Um, and so I do hope that the data that we've shared in here allow our members to truly make a commitment to all students at their institutions um, and that they do start to question how are we investing or how are we designing uh, pathways uh, for all of our students. 
Thanks so much, Lindsay, for joining me today. And thanks for helping us create this roadmap to action, uh, a roadmap that, that asks people to examine the data and trust the data, uh, a roadmap that asks them to make a commitment, a commitment to action, and a roadmap that also asks them to invest, not just with financial resources, but with time and with dedication to the challenges that uh, we still face in post-secondary education. Uh, thanks again to you, Lindsay, and thanks to our listeners of Nakubo and Brief. <laughs>